Today on the show, we're embarking on another episode of Outrageous Escapades. And this time, we remembered to set up our recording devices. Yeah, we did. Gross. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe. From Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV, and today, comic books. <laughs> Zap, wham, bang. Uh, sorry, my name's Leo. <laughs> Pow, my name's Abu. Bang. <laughs> and today, pal, we're talking about... <laughs> Oh, Lord. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> Today, we're talking about House Atreides issues three and four. Yes. This is... This is something. <laughs> it's This is something. Yeah, we're going to get into it. But just a refresher for those of you who don't remember, Leo and I are currently reading the ongoing... Dune prequel comic book series written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, based on a book written by Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson. Right. And we previously covered issues one and two. And today we're going to get into issues three and four. And these comics are based on a novel that is a prequel. So, you know, we could have a very shallow conversation, basically just recapping the comic books if we avoided spoilers entirely. Mm -hmm. But I think... Some of our thoughts and some of our feelings about this comic book wouldn't make sense if we didn't talk about the first Dune book. So this is a spoiler episode for the comic book series thus far. Again, we're, we're up to date with issue number four. And I don't think either of us have read the book. Have you? No, I haven't read the novel that this comic is adapting either. So we don't know what's coming next and we haven't read the novel so we can't predict what's coming next in the comic book either this is this is new dune lore to us but you're totally right leo it would not make sense to talk about a prequel series without actually talking about what it's a prequel to right, right. so today will be a spoiler filled episode particularly for the first dune novel so we just want to make that note at the top of the episode before we get into it before we start talking about issues three and four, what happens in them and our kind of thoughts about those goings on, I did want to remind you all, we have an email address, gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. We get a good amount of emails and we just love hearing from you all about kind of whatever. If you have an episode idea, if you want to say hi, if you have a comment or feedback about a past episode, we'd love to hear it again. We take all of this very seriously. We love to hear from you. And also, we're always eager to adapt and improve what we are here at Gamjabar. <laughs> Completely, yeah. And let us know what you think of us covering things like this comic book series. What other Dune content would you like us to cover? Because Leo and I have read the original six books from Frank Herbert. Right. We've deep dived into much of the encyclopedia, but Dune lore is massive and huge, yeah. and we haven't consumed all of it. So let us know the parts we're missing out on that you want us to get into and uh, talk about on the podcast. Just hit us up on that email, folks. <laughs> Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Always open, because that's how emails work. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. An electronic letter. It's an electronic letter. <laughs> Just like <laughs> Thor. <laughs> exactly. I'm so glad you got that reference. Anyway. Cool. <laughs> let's get into issues number three and four. Right. We're going to go scene by scene through these issues. So let's jump into the first scene of issue three. The comic opens up on Giddy Prime. Right. Where Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Moheim, a character that we know very well from the first Dune novel. Yeah. Arrives and meets a young Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Right. And she's here to get down to business, Leo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in like three or four different ways. Yeah. <laughs> At least. I mean, the reason she's here, Leo, is because as we established in the previous two issues, the Bene Gesserit need Vladimir Harkonnen's genetic information right. to get one step closer to creating the Kwisatz Hitarak. Yeah. The ultimate goal of the Bene Gesserit to create this like legendary mythic being the Kwisatz Hitarak. 
And we've seen the plan. It's written on paper, if you remember. It's written on paper. There's some X's and O's. Very high tech. Right. Very cutting edge. (laughs) As we discussed in our issue one and two episode. Definitely. So we've seen that plan. Reverend Mother Moheim is here to convince Vladimir Harkonnen to impregnate her. And it's not going super, super well. Right. So the Reverend Mother arrives, and they decide to take this meeting to a more private area. (laughs) And so they head to Baron Harkonnen's room. And it's a mess, Leo. It's a pigsty. It's so messy. (laughs) And I I get it because, again, Baron Harkonnen, he is this sort of opulent, messy guy. But then in the comic, he's illustrated as this, like, strong-jawed, tall, you know, regal-looking guy It's kind of at odds with him, right? Like the image of his room and the image of him don't really match up in this comic. Yeah. Though I guess I get where they're going with it. You know, this is what he does in his bedroom is is not a clean business. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And look, he has no intention of cleaning up. He makes that very clear to the Reverend Mother. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) He's like, we can have the meeting in here, but I'm not cleaning up. It's going to be this messy. And so they have this meeting in the Baron's room, and Reverend Mother Moheim makes her pitch. She's like, I need you to impregnate me. Right. We know the secret stockpiles of spice that the Harkonnens have been sort of hiding from the Emperor. We are more than happy to reveal the hoarding of spice that you're doing to the Emperor, who will no doubt start an audit on your accounts. (laughs) It's the worst. Unless right here, right now, we get down to business, Mr. Harkonnen, and you impregnate me. That is the pitch that the Reverend Mother makes. And I I gotta say, our boy Vladimir, he hits back with an absolutely iconic line. (laughs) Leo, Leo, between the two of us, you are the voice actor. I'd love to hear your interpretation of this line. Oh, my God. The why would I? Oh, my God. How dare you? Okay. <laughs> and why would I want to do that? The procreation process with women disgusts me. Beautiful. <laughs> Iconic line. Man, by the way, is this how people talk? No. <laughs> Spoiler alert, no. Uh, the procreation process with women disgusts me. <laughs> okay, okay, guy. So weird. Honestly, I got to this line and I, I was yeah. kind of frozen with shock. <laughs> and I thought about it for, yeah. you know, 60 seconds, which is about 59 seconds more than this line deserves. <laughs> And I get the feeling that, like, the producer, you know, the people behind this comic, whoever was publishing it, was like, this has to be PG. You can't say the word sex, (laughs) you know? Oh. Like, a lot of this scene taking place between the Reverend Mother and the Baron, there's a lot of implying happening here, right? Like, no one outright says, I need you to have sex with me right now. You're right, yeah. So, you know, I I agree with you. Nobody talks like this. It was a really jarring scene to get to. Truly iconic. The procreation process with women disgusts me. But the Baron turns her down. He's like, no, I don't want to do this. It really, I mean, it boils down to her like, I'm going to snitch on you. And he's like, well, girls are gross. Right. (laughs) And scene. And (laughs) honestly, that was an incredible like two sentence summary of the opening scene of this issue. Don't worry. We're going to come back. This scene continues. Let, let's jump ahead to the next one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, this next scene, we are still on Getty Prime. We are elsewhere on Getty Prime. And we join a young Duncan Idaho who is in a transport ship with Beast Raban, and they are headed out for a fun hunt in the woods. A little run. A little run in the woods, you know. <laughs> this whole scene has some really rough just writing yeah kind of period i mean the whole comic series so far has not blown me away with the prose and handling of the language you know but Mm -hmm. this section is tough there's this actual thought bubble that duncan has at one point where he says quote at least my parents are no longer harkonnen prisoners raban killed them both (laughs) jesus yeah Thanks for thinking that, my guy, because it's been a whole, like, four pages of comics since that happened. Really important to, A, remind us that it happened, and also, clearly, overwhelmed with remorse. Right. <laughs> like, at least my parents are dead, you know. This is an eight-year-old kid who just saw his 
Ferrets get shot in front of him not 20 minutes ago. It's, it's just. And this is the thought he's having. It's so jarring. What a weird panel. <laughs> it's so weird. And then the hunt starts. Yeah. And, you know, on some levels, I'm like, this is kind of fun. This is cool. He's running through the woods. I get a real sense of, like, it's cold. It's it's dark. It's gloomy, you know? Yeah. There's some fancy artwork here, too, that I appreciated. Yeah. And then, oh, and they put a tracker in him. This is important. Mm -hmm. They put a tracker in him so they can find him. (laughs) He removes it blindly with the knife they gave him. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. He removes it somehow and then is about to break the tracker and thinks, you know what? I'm actually going to use this against them. He sets a little trap, puts his tracker, you know, in, in this little cave. And then the least reasonable thing happens considering <laughs> all of the possibilities bear in mind beast raban says to him survive as long as you can give me a good hunt you know oh yeah this is the beast's game this is his thing he loves hunting people mm-hmm. again he's a bad guy right his name is beast <laughs> his name is beast uh, <laughs> this is his thing and who shows up to capture this prize morsel this toy that is so special to beast raban one fucking harkonnen soldier by himself with no company like the beast isn't there so what is he doing what who is this guy who is this jerry oh jerry fucking shows up jerry shows up <laughs> just this lone harkonnen soldier who's like nah i'll catch duncan idaho today instead you know what I'm going to get myself fired. <laughs> this is going to be great. You know what? Great. Jerry's always had a big head on his shoulders. That fuck. He's like, if I bring the beast's prey to Baron Harkonnen, I'll be promoted to nephew. <laughs> and his close friend is like, that doesn't make sense, <laughs> even remotely. Jerry, no. Well, rip, Jerry. You got crushed by a rock, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, bested by an eight-year-old. I mean, Duncan lays his trap. Jerry shows up solo. And gets crushed by a boulder that Duncan slams down on him. And Jerry is laying on the ground. His poor, poor legs are smushed, my guy. He is just in pain and suffering. And Duncan Idaho comes up. Young Duncan Idaho. Remember, he's a kid at this point. And uh, takes out his knife, finishes the dude off. Rip Jerry. And takes his med kit, takes some rations, and runs off into the woods Thinking to himself, another iconic thought bubble in this chapter, now I'm a hunter too. Now I'm a hunter too. (laughs) I mean, one of the, I think, strengths of this series is that there is a lot happening, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes too much, too many different things and kind of jumping around too often. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's interesting. There's a lot going on. So certainly, you know, there's something for everyone, maybe, uh, We are over to Leto Atreides, young Leto Atreides, who very recently was put onto the surface of Ix. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go on a techno planet. It's going to be great. And then it's just a barren dirt world. (laughs) He's like, oh, no. (laughs) Uh, But surprise, from the ground, space elevator. Yes. Fancy tech elevator, which is cool. It's kind of a neat little reveal. It looked fun, yeah. And from out of the... (laughs) humming ground elevator comes prince romber our boy prince romber <laughs> this is by the way keep in mind we met earl dominique vernius mm-hmm. earlier in i think issue what was it one yes yep what i mean he's a full course meal mm. like he is a he is a certified thirst trap yes. for all of us and i'm not <laughs> quite sure i buy that this prince romber kind of tumbled out of that majestic icon of a man right right uh but you know he seems like a nice guy overall yeah not a lot to say about his character he seems fine yeah he hasn't played a huge role yet at the moment all he really does is welcomes leto atreides to x they hop in the elevator together and they head down to the palace right where leto then meets the aforementioned iconic Earl Dominic Vernius of Ix. So cool. <laughs> He's got an entrance, Leo. He's got an entrance here. The guy walks in, he says hi to Leto, and then he introduces his partner and concubine, Lady Shanto, <laughs> who we know from the previous two issues because that came up before. Yeah. He introduces her with the flex of the century. <laughs> 
he says this to someone he just met. Just met. <laughs> we we learned the backstory, right? Like Elrude had a concubine. Apparently, he wasn't like treating her right. Yeah. So Earl Dominique Vernius comes in and gifts her with his presence, and they run away together. And right, <laughs> Earl Dominique, in meeting Leto Atreides, <laughs> says, "This is my lady Shando." She used to be one of Emperor Elrude's concubines, <laughs> but now she's mine. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That is so... This guy overshares when he drinks, and he overshares when he's sober, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. What an absolute flex. Like, hey, Duke Leto Atreides, still a virgin? <laughs> cool. I'm Earl Vernius. <laughs> yeah. And look, we need to at least acknowledge that we can't blame Lady Shando for leaving wrinkly old fuck Elrude. Yeah, he sucks. For Earl Dominic Vernius. Who wouldn't, you know? Look at the guy. <laughs> look at him. His mustache. He's got confidence, folks. Swagger. <laughs> I might propose at the end of all of this a director's cut of just only the cells where he's present. <laughs> of just the, the Earl... <laughs> Dominic Vernius version of this story. Like, like a fan cam, a comic book fan cam <laughs> yeah. for Vernius. Would be pretty great. And again, you know, Lady Shando, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful woman. Right. And we meet her daughter, look, who is look, clearly she's a babe. Babe. Yeah. Certified. Kaylee Vernius, certified babe. 100%. 10 out of 10. She's beautiful. Beautiful. Regal. Yeah. Poised. Oh, looks great. Right. And let's not pretend Leto also doesn't recognize this. They, they share a moment. <laughs> There's a panel where he cannot look away from her. <laughs> yeah. You know, off screen, I'm sure they made some eye contact. They shared a moment. Oh, yeah. We all know it happened. 100%. <laughs> so Leto's doing his rounds. He meets everybody here at X. And then Prince Romber takes Leto to go see a newly completed highlighter that was under construction here at one of the facilities yeah. on Planet X. And this was one of the new models that we actually have already heard about in one of the previous issues. Yeah. And in this scene, the I think the most notable thing that happens here is that we catch a very quick glimpse, just a single panel. It's kind of a super wide shot. We don't get a close-up shot of a guild navigator. And from what we can tell, it's just this opaque black box being loaded into the highliner. This navigator is obviously the person who's going to be injecting spice and right. navigating and driving this ship. And this navigator gets loaded into the ship. And then uh, Leto's like, hey, where's the launch pad? Like, how are we getting this ship out of here? Aren't we underground? Boom. It just warps out of there. Yeah. And that's pretty dope. Yeah. I like the uh, panel of the, like, all of the scaffolding and the loading docks and everything just completely empty suddenly. I liked that, too. Yeah. All right. Next scene yeah. is on Chitin. Looks great. Looks great. Yeah, looks great. I agree. The planets have a distinct look and feel in this comic, and I really do love that. We touched on that in, the, in our last discussion about issues one and two. But uh, a lot of the art in this comic I'm really, really enjoying. And yeah. probably my favorite part of that is just how distinct each planet looks. Totally. But yeah. we're back on Kaiten and we're back with our boys, Shaddam and Fenrir. Yeah. And Leo, they're still plotting. <laughs> Typical. I mean, what else is there to do? It's sunny. <laughs> you know, there's some birds in the sky. Looks great. You're the son of the emperor. Son of the emperor. What else is there to you, do? You scheme. You plot. Do some assassinations, you know? <laughs> right. Hashtag always be plotting. Yeah. It's, you know, you scheme and plot to pass the time. Yeah. Right. So these two are scheming, and Shaddam lets us know that he is growing increasingly impatient, yeah. that his old man isn't dead yet, yeah. and that he doesn't have the throne yet. Yeah. And Fenring has to be like, yo, don't you remember what happened in the last issue? I injected him with the poison. It's slow acting. It's going to take some time. But that will take the target off your back. If he just died out of the blue, that'd be real suspicious. This way, it'll look like a natural death. But young Shaddam, eager to take that throne, and he's he's growing increasingly impatient. But they take this scene to have a very heavy expositional conversation yeah. <laughs> about the spice melange yeah. and its importance to the universe and how it's only found on one planet. The planet Arrakis, the planet Dune. Have you heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Ever heard of it? 
And then, of course, they they are scheming here. So they're talking about how they could break this monopoly of spice and how they could actually create a monopoly for themselves. And Fenring puts forth this idea that they could potentially create an artificial substitute for the spice. And the process for creating the substitute could be controlled solely by House Carino. Yeah. And that would break this monopoly of Arrakis and the planet Dune and whoever controls that at the moment of having a monopoly on spice production. And that is seemingly what they are now going to set out to do. This also, this whole scene does track with kind of how I understand, you know, Shaddam the Fourth and Fenring. Like, throughout this scene, Fenring is the one going, I have this plan, I think this is going to work, you know, kind of setting up the chess pieces for the game. And <laughs> Shaddam's like, oh, why isn't my dad dead yet? Right, 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 right. <laughs> when I'm emperor, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and Fenring's like, okay, yeah, sure. Anyway, so we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And he's like, okay, yeah, but ew, the Tleilaxu and the Tleilaxu. I mean, listen, I don't disagree with him. Yeah, totally. They're talking about creating artificial spice and they say... Who's the best with technology? Well, the Ixians, probably. Mm-hmm. And then he says, followed closely by Rachis, which I'll get back to in a second. And then, you know, he says, but this, this task of creating artificial spice would be more biochemistry. And as we talked about in our technology of Dune comparing the Tleilaxu and the Ixians, that is very much the realm of the Beni Tleilax setting up. I think, Abu, you and I agree, Yeah, one of the most exciting reveals in this art style. It's like, okay, what's that going to look like? Yeah, yeah, can't wait. <laughs> but again, through that incredible idea, Shaddam's brilliant retort is the Tleilaxu. <laughs> Filthy scheming creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good thought, my guy. <laughs> Thanks for contributing <laughs> to the discourse. <laughs> He's just a complaining whining kid. He's just here for the exposition, okay? He's not he's not he's not trying to scheme. He's just letting us know the Tleilax are filthy. <laughs> That's true. They're unclean. That's true. All right, so let's wrap up issue number three, the final scene of this issue. We are on Arrakis. Yep. With people's sexiest man alive <laughs> and Imperial planetologist Pardo Kynes. Yo, he can terraform me any day. It's great. Hell yeah. <laughs> you want to learn all about my ecology, baby? Hair looks great, too. He's He's got a good routine going. Yeah. I like the, uh, he's got it. Yeah. He's looking good. He's looking good. And he's out here in the desert doing planetologist shit while he's looking <laughs> good doing it. I can't talk right now. I'm doing hot guy planetologist shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the TikTok we need. Go, internet. Make it happen. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's what Pardo Kynes is up to out here on Arrakis in the desert when he suddenly comes across a group of Harkonnen soldiers fighting a group of young Fremen. Yep. And what does our hot guy planetologist Pardo Kynes do, Leo? Does he run away? You know, if he did, he would still be very attractive. (laughs) But he doesn't. He doesn't. He thrusts. He thrusts himself into battle. (laughs) He runs headlong. And because, not because, like, screw the Harkonnens or I'm going to get revenge or anything dirty and gross and, and, and mean, he goes, that's not a fair fight. Yeah. That doesn't look like the odds are stacked in the favor of those Fremen who I have no, you know, particular. He's fascinated by them. He's interested in them. But he's not one of them yet. Yeah. He's just going, that fight's not fair. It would be wrong for me to stand back and do nothing. So badass. Badass. He charged us I'm into that fight. It. Look, all I got to say is honorable, <laughs> yeah. smart, uh-huh. good looking, yep. and my guy can fight? Yo. Ladies, <laughs> watch out. Dominique has some real competition here. Real competition in the hot guy rankings. Some real competition here from Pardo. So he rushes in and he helps these Fremen defeat the Harkonnen soldiers. Yeah. Unfortunately, during the fight, one of the Fremen takes a pretty brutal looking wound to like the neck shoulder area. And Pardo rushes over here at the end of the comic in the in the last couple of pages, uh, cradles the guy in his arms as he's as he's sort of bleeding, uh, takes a second to admire Fremen coagulation <laughs> abilities out here in the desert. Again, he's a smart dude. Smart dude. Smart dude. <laughs> Knows words like coagulation. 
And then issue number three ends on a final panel where Pardo Kynes is holding this wounded Fremen in his arms and the other Fremen approach him. And we kind of end on this cliffhanger of, uh-oh, what's going to happen between Pardo and these Fremen? And we find that out in issue number four. <laughs> What a cliffhanger for anybody who hasn't read Dune. <laughs> really on the edge of my seat here, wondering what's going to happen to this in this prequel series. Yeah, totally. In this prequel series to the book I have read multiple times. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> the suspense is killing me. <laughs> so we move on to issue number four. Issue mm -hmm. number four. And it starts off explosively. Uh, and a little bit confusingly. <laughs> we are on Giddy Prime, picking up where we left off. Young Duncan Idaho has recently killed Jerry and stolen his snacks and weapons. And R.I.P. Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. Jerry, you kind of sucked, but, you know, life's a life. <laughs> and uh, Duncan's there. He's nursing his little cut back area where he removed blindly the, the tracker. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he's he's off. He's he's making his way downtown. Yes. Uh, shooting, shooting quickly because he encounters like a Raya wolf or something. Kind of a. I don't know. I, what What do you think that is? Is that a Raya Wolf? I don't know that it's a Raya Wolf just because the timeline maybe doesn't line up. And we, this is super fucking geeky, but Raya Wolves exist on Seleucus Secundus and we have no confirmation that they do exist on Getty Prime. Whatever. It's a giant, scary looking fucking wolf. <laughs> but easily frightened. <laughs> easily frightened. <laughs> yeah. By a classic laser gun. And uh, this all happened so fast. It was like one panel, the wolf shows up. Second panel, the wolf is gone. But he survives this brief encounter with this wolf and then climbs a tree and he sees a light out in the forest, seemingly from a ship. And he decides, oh, shit, that's maybe my ticket out of here. I should head towards that. And to be clear, he is actively being hunted at this point. Yeah. There are Harkonnen soldiers, Beast Raban in tow out there. Again, still no even remotely no explanation for Jerry, who like forged ahead on his, on his own. <laughs> Like, they really could have had someone go, where did that guy go? I don't know. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But no, they're, they're just, this is the pack of them. I guess this is the main, you know. Right. He, he splintered off from the pack. Always a lone wolf, Jerry. Always a lone wolf. You know, Duncan Idaho used Boulder. Harkonnen fainted. <laughs> so he recognizes he's being actively hunted by these Harkonnens. He has this, like, hand light. And he decides, you know, he's being hunted by these guys. He decides... You know, setting that trap on that idiot Jerry seemed to work pretty well. Yeah. Clearly, these Harkonnens are not the brightest bulbs in the, in the I don't know, <laughs> onion bag. So I'm going to set a new trap, right? You keep bulbs in your onion bags? Uh, aren't onions called bulbs? Oh, is that true? I mean, brightest bulb usually means light bulb, right? That joke was written by a Harkonnen. So if it doesn't make sense to you, but... I blame Harkonnens. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So he sets another trap for these absolutely moronic Harkonnens. Fire them. Hire better ones. Yeah, it's so... They're so dumb. They fall for this trap again. He has a laser gun. He manages to actually hit one or two of them. Beast Raban has to dive out of the way. And Duncan makes a beeline for the light in the forest that's coming from, from this ship that he spotted. I do like that his trap effectively boils down to, I'm going to shoot them when they're not looking at me. <laughs> right, right. Brilliant, brilliant tactic here. Also, lucky that a an eight-year-old with no formal laser gun training can outgun some Harkonnen soldiers. But, you know... He's stuck in Idaho. Yeah. For the man he becomes, maybe this is 100% par for the course. Yeah. And really the shocking, upsetting, totally infactual thing here right. is that he missed Beast Raban. <laughs> <laughs> the true Duncan right. Idaho would have... <laughs> would never have missed. <laughs> one shot at that idiot. Yeah. That's true. That's true. He makes it exactly like you said... Makes a run for the ship, not looking where he's running. Kind of a questionable choice. Yeah. <laughs> running blindly in a direction. And such, he's caught unawares by a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Just a person who grabs him and goes, ah, I gotcha. <laughs> and that's the end of that scene. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll come back to that and we'll learn a little bit more about her yep. in a second. So the next scene, yes. we are still on Getty Prime, and now we are back in Baron Vladimir Harkonnen's well-established messy room. <laughs> it's very messy. And doesn't tidy up for anyone. It's true. That is canon. I mean. Absolutely canon. And, you know, especially not for 
the current <laughs> occupant of that room, Reverend Gaius Helen Moheim. Right. And what's taking place, of course, is the single most awkward one-night stand in human history. <laughs> right. Yeah. And things are not progressing as quickly as the Reverend Mother hoped, so she ups the ante. Not only do we know where your secret spice hordes are, Vladimir, <laughs> but you see this gobjabar on my finger? I see it. If you don't impregnate me right now, I'll kill you. Yeah. So now we have moved, we've upped the ante, we're at <laughs> DEFCON 5. Right. She is now at death threats if he if he doesn't agree to impregnate her right now. I am very pro Gamjabar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, leave it out of the bedroom. Yes. Let's not involve a Gamjabar, you know, limbs are a-flying, <laughs> fingers, need I say more? Are a-traveling. Are a-traveling. <laughs> this is a needle that kills you immediately. <laughs> Probably not. Leave that on the shelf. All right. That's my recommendation. Yeah. Please don't wear your gamjabar during sex is plainly what we're saying. As a gamjabar specialist, <laughs> the warranty does not cover any deaths sustained during coitus. So, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Understandably, Vladimir is now concerned. Yeah. He's trying to come up with a plan B. He's trying to get out of this. Right. So he offers up. A vial of his sperm. Yeah. He's like, I'll give you my sperm, use it, whatever. I don't care. Just get out of here. To be fair, it makes sense. Yeah. And the Reverend Mother refuses. Yeah. And we, we get a little bit of Benny Jesuit lore here, which I appreciated, actually. She says, the conception must be, quote unquote, natural yeah. per Benny Jesuit rules. And this is actually true. The Benny Jesuit are not huge fans of things like artificial insemination right. or other technological or quote-unquote artificial ways of creating human life for them the one and only way to create a human life is to have sex you know i do kind of see this as like one of the things that benny jesuit have done is they've gotten very good at like sexually imprinting on people and using sex as a means of controlling people you gotta imagine around the table at chapter house that that top benny jesuit kind of the top brass yeah, the top brass, the top Benny Jesuit brass. They're like, hey, we, we discovered we can inseminate artificially using just a vial of semen. That's way easier. Do we just want to do that from <laughs> now on? And they're like, but we spent 4,000 years getting really good at <laughs> seducing people. Like, what? What? You want us to go back on that? Yeah, there, there's a bit of sunk cost fallacy going on here. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point... Our boy Vlad is, like, profusely sweating. <laughs> He's, he is wet. <laughs> he is wet and not in the way that the Reverend Mother hopes. Wab. <laughs> wet ass barren. <laughs> <laughs> he is sweating. Our boy is backed into a corner. He knows he is fucked. Really? It reminds me of the, like, Key and Peel meme. <laughs> yeah. I love Key and Peele. Yeah. And th this panel right here reminded me so much of it. Like, it's so, <laughs> he's so sweaty. But of course, the Reverend Mother is not going <laughs> to take no for an answer here. She's going to go ahead and take one more jab at the Baron as she lays down and prepares right. to be impregnated. Right. Because at this point, I feel like everyone in the room knows what's going to happen. He has no choice. As she lays down, she says, Quote, make it quick, Baron, though I expect that is how it usually happens. Got him. Ah! Oh, my God. Get this man to the burn ward. That's incredible. Third degree burns all over his body. Savage. So brutal. I do like he's reduced to the, the next panel of him, like removing his jacket. He just goes, which which is <laughs> like, which is like. What else do you say? Yeah. It's great. It's over. It's over for the Baron. And at this point, he, obviously, he has no choice. And he grits his teeth and he does the deed to impregnate her. Right. And then the camera pans out in the next <laughs> panel here. And Leo. Yes. We realize someone's watching. You know, who would be so vile, so invasive, shall I say, twisted to... Ah. Ah. Gaze upon this act of, of political coercion. Well, you know what? I uh, Frankly, I had no idea. <laughs> when I read this, I was right. like... I, did, I didn't either. Do who the right. hell is this? <laughs> who the hell is watching this? 
The camera zooms out. We get this view of, I guess, a window into the Baron's bedchambers, why? which is troubling. Yeah. Why? Because it's also not in like a hard to reach place. It's This is just in a hallway. In a hallway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like you're walking down the hallway, going to get some coffee from the break room and you turn, you look right and you're like, oh, oh, yikes. <laughs> the Baron's having sex with someone. Oh, cool. I guess. <laughs> the person watching through the window yeah. is none other than Piter DeVry University. Oh, my God. Go, Bobcats, damn it. <laughs> Go, Warthogs. <laughs> and he's he's sort of loving this. I mean, maybe too much, but he's he's going, oh, you know, my poor Baron has to, <laughs> has to sleep with this woman. And he says, and again, I really don't, I don't know what this does. Yeah. Narrative-wise, other than just... I don't know what's happening, yeah. Piter is weird. He says, I have spied on many of your outrageous escapades, Baron, but not like this, which I would argue probably exactly like this. Yeah, there's a window. It's real easy to access. Really, yeah. is, it, is it spying or are you just walking down this hallway? And then he goes, <laughs> ah, if only I had set up recording devices as he licks his lips. Licks his lips. Yikes. Uh, there's just, I have questions. Yep. I mean... This is almost objectively funny. Right. Uh, hence our joke at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so weird. And yeah, I don't know what it does for Piter's character development. I don't know if we're getting some payoff on this later. No idea. But for the moment, all we know is that Piter can watch the Baron do whatever through this <laughs> window, this inexplicable window. A publicly accessible yeah. window. <laughs> Maybe at this time, the Harkonnens are, like, really big on transparency. Just, it's like the door open rule parents have in their houses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Again, art looks great. You know, there's this great blue light coming out of the window, and yeah. it's underlighting Piter. He looks very devious. You know, the hatching is, is, is really intense and cool. It It looks great. Yeah. It's just weird. Totally agree. I agree with you there. All right. Let's continue powering through this issue. The next scene. Right. We are back on Planet X with Leto and Romber, Prince Romber. And they are currently training with a mech, M-E-K, as absolute certified babe Kaylee watches. And this, is, this was kind of interesting. So they're training with this mech, and the idea is that the mech can anticipate human movements. Suspicious, okay. Right, suspicious. So the trick is to sort of fight it in an unpredictable style, in an unpredictable way. And Prince Romber manages to score, what was it, six, six and a half on it, whatever that ranking is for the difficulty level on the mech. And then it's Leto's turn, and he steps up to the plate. And as we've mentioned, Kaylee's right there, so my guy needs to show off, right? <laughs> yeah, has to, yeah. So he's kind of puffing up his chest, and he's like, okay, I can take on this mech, I can beat your high score. And as he steps up to this mech, he also takes a moment to remind us how much of an absolute square he is. Yeah. Because he reminds everyone in the room, hey, guys, by the way, the Great <laughs> Convention bans machines made in the likeness of the human mind. Is that this machine? Is this machine like artificial intelligence? And Prince Romber like quickly brushes this off and he's like, Leto, 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 Leto. We know. We know what we're doing on X. Just fight the thing. And so Leto does. <laughs> I mean, this is like borderline mansplaining on like a triumphant scale. Yeah. Hey, Ix, have you heard of this thing right. called the Butlerian Jihad? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. It's really, I get it because, again, we do have to have like the outsider perspective on, hey, Ix, you might be towing kind of a dangerous line because this tracks, but yeah, still, it's just clunky. It could have been handled differently. Looks great. Again, every one of these panels is, is really actually pretty riveting and fun. Yeah, and, and the, I, I actually liked the mech design as well. Yeah. It, it was kind of cool and uh, futuristic looking. But Leto, of course, here steps up, fights the mech in the next couple of panels and manages to not only defeat it, but break it. <laughs> yeah. And then in an absolute <laughs> flex, he's like, I don't think this is ready for market yet, guys. I broke it. And Leo, right. you bet your ass <laughs> Kaylee noticed. Yo, she's blushing. She's blushing in that next panel. Nothing sexier than someone destroying his friend's technology. <laughs> <laughs> Leto's like, heard you have this expensive thing. Would be a shame if I just <laughs> destroyed it. <laughs> yeah, 
Kaylee's like, mm, give me that toxic masculinity, baby. <laughs> love it. I loved when he asked us if we knew what the Great Convention was. <laughs> right. Asked us about our own deeply troubling history. <laughs> it's pretty great. But she's blushing here. And at this point, this comic book is not even hiding the fact that Lazo and Kaylee, there's something brewing here. Yeah. Now, the next scene takes us back to Arrakis. We're back in the arms, the loving embrace of the galactic heartthrob <laughs> and, of course, guild tender brand representative, Pardo Kynes. Pardo Kynes. We'd all swipe right, don't pretend you wouldn't. <laughs> and he's uh, he's cradling this injured young Fremen. I wish he was cradling me. <laughs> Just the way we all wish he would cradle us. And it turns out, Bum, bum, bum. This injured Fremen is Stilgar. Hey. Ever heard of him? Ever heard of him? That's kind of fun. So the Fremen, having noticed that he kind of saved Stilgar's life, are saying, you know what? We can save him. He's not going to die, but we're going to need your car. <laughs> so they dump all of his planetologist shit out of the back <laughs> of the car. They're like, let's get rid of these rocks. He's like, my rocks. Yeah. What does this instrument do? It looks expensive. <laughs> Toss it in the sand. Because uh, they need it to bring the Harkonnen bodies back to the siege. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Kynes, being ignorant of the Fremen ways, goes, wow, like, why are you hiding bodies? And they're like, no, no, we're going to drink them. <laughs> Calm down, guy. Right. It's great. We're not wasting the water here. We're not wasting water. Right. Exactly. And yeah. he ends up walking, basically, <laughs> to the nearest siege. Right. And the nearest siege is called Redwall Siege. And he enters here mm -hmm. and is honestly just geeking out. Kid in a candy store. Yeah. Kind of loses <laughs> his mind. Yeah. Kid in a candy store. He's like looking around. He's like, what? You guys make your own steel suits. That's so cool. Did you carve this siege out of this rock outcropping? <laughs> yeah. What is going on? Like he is just absolutely overwhelmed and excited to be so exposed to Fremen culture, who we have to assume at this point are extremely secretive and extremely in hiding on Arrakis because the Harkonnens are in control of the planet at the moment. So he is, yeah, like you said, that's a perfect analogy. Kid in a candy store kind of losing his mind as he enters this siege. The Nabe of the siege, Nabe Hainar, is obviously annoyed that these young Fremen would bring an outsider in, yeah. an imperial outsider. So he goes down to the entrance to talk to Pardo Kynes as Kynes is like, at this point, kind of touching stuff, like <laughs> touching the still suits. Yeah. So the knave uh, sort of walks up to him and, you know, confronts him and asks him why he's here. <laughs> yeah. And Pardo big balls Kynes over here right. declares to all the Fremen <laughs> yeah. in the siege who have now sort of gathered to see what's going on, like who this white boy is that just walked into their siege. Yeah. He turns to them, like raises his hands in this next panel and declares <laughs> that the Fremen can help him with his, quote, grand environmental plan. I, I do love the, the, you know, the Nabe says, you can talk. Sure. Tell us about your thing. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever it is. And we're going to decide over here whether or not we're going to kill you. <laughs> but go <laughs> ahead. Talk until we decide. Right. The council will decide. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to respect the cojones on a man oh my God. in a room full of people who could kill him in a situation where he's probably going to get killed. And he's like, guys, I've got a great business opportunity for you. <laughs> right. Can I make you the sales pitch of the century? <laughs> <laughs> and he does it with just this big, smiley emoji face. Right. The theatrics. <laughs> it's really, I got to say, I'm bought in. Yeah. Uh, if I was one of these, like, curious, not quite antagonizing Fremen, I'd be like, all right. Right. <laughs> I'll help you. Sounds great. Swipe right on the grand <laughs> environmental plan, folks. Like, I'm in. He's got that side part. He's got <laughs> He's it. He's got it. Yeah. But that's where that scene ends at the moment. Right. right. And then we... Jump forward to the next scene. We are back on Kaiten again, as established. Real beautiful panels here. Kaiten is quickly becoming one of the most visually distinct planets in this series and probably one of my favorites. And we are at an Imperial Observatory on Kaiten with, once again, our boys, Shaddam and Fenring. And <laughs> right. Leo, guess what they're doing? 
uh, 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 Scrabble. Close. Oh, God, it's not Scrabble. Oh, no. Uh, They're scheming. Smash, but oh, scheming, right. Hashtag always be scheming. (laughs) Hashtag always be scheming. (laughs) They're at this observatory and they're scheming. This scene felt very inexplicable and weird to me. But basically the gist here is that they're looking through this observatory up at a highliner that has brought, as Fenring tells us, the best Tleilaxu research to Kaiten on Fenring's request. So in the previous issue, as we've discussed, they talked about creating a synthetic artificial spice to break the monopoly of Arrakis. And Fenring has reached out to the Tleilaxu. He was like, hey, send us your best guys. We have a business proposal. And so they're looking up through this observatory at the Tleilaxu arriving in his highliner. And once again here, Shaddam voices the fact that the poison that's killing his father is taking way too long. (laughs) And he's growing impatient. And that's kind of it. Like, that's all that happens in this scene. Yeah, not a lot. And I got to say, this is just a continued reminder. I think, how do you, okay, how do you feel about this constant complaining from Shaddam? I feel like someone in the writer's room or the creative team thinks the audience needs constant reminders of what (laughs) just happened Uh in, like, the last issue, you know? Like, there are a number of, we've sort of joked about the writing a few times in our discussion today, and a lot of that has been like, oh, they're awkwardly pointing out the thing that was established in issue one, or they're awkwardly reminding the audience of a thing that happened in issue two. And I understand, like, comics usually come out, like, one month apart. You have 30 days in between for people to forget what they just read in the last issue. Right, right. But, um, yeah, I don't know. This seems like a... Don't forget that our root is being poisoned and could die at any moment. <laughs> it's like this like silly reminder of this thing that's <laughs> happening. Uh, that's how I see it. How do you see it? Yeah. No, I, I'm right there with you because I do think that it's good that Shaddam is this impatient, you know, kid, basically, next to the prodigy that is Fenring. But they've already told us that. And that they're taking another, like, page or two to show us again <laughs> the same stuff. I really, I have issues with this scene, but I think it's more with the presentation of the comic and the way that the scenes are being given to us. Yeah. Not so much about, like, the characters, you know? Fenring and Shaddam play their parts in this scene well, but I just don't think we need this scene. Other than, you know, at the end of last scene, Fenring could say, I'm going to put out word to the Tleilaxu and they'll show up. And then this final panel of them arriving could be at the top of the next scene. Totally. We don't need this middle thing. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Some, some of the pacing here is weird. Totally. There is nothing gained or lost by just cutting this scene altogether. <laughs> yeah. this, this was so short. It was like a page, you know, maybe two. Yeah. yeah. I'm right there with you. So following that long and extensive scene with lots of great development and incredible new information contributed to the story we are back on ix and leto yes yep back on the planet and again reminder ix looks great <laughs> looks amazing yeah real unique we are in this underground technological metropolis nothing wrong nothing out of place everything looks perfect <laughs> and i say that because in this scene <laughs> Leto is like, you know what? My buddy, he's sleeping for some reason in the same room. Right, right. They they can't afford multiple rooms. Is that how you interpreted that panel? They're just sharing a room? It seems like it. Or like (laughs) like having a slumber party. I don't know. (laughs) Well, in any case, Leto is like, you know what? My buddy's sleeping. I'm going to go on like a romping adventure. I want to see more of the city for myself. So he goes to the lower levels and already (laughs) we start seeing some gruff looking folks who maybe are not the same sort of sparkling aristocracy mm-hmm. that we've seen thus far and surprise these suboids <laughs> i've really just i it, it rankles me a little bit i think i'm using that word correctly yeah and i'll look it up later and i'll cut it if i'm not it bothers me <laughs> when people throw out terms without needing to yeah i'll talk a little bit about this in a bit but I don't know that there would even be subboids in Ixian society, but whatever. We've seen this a million times. These are like the coal miners providing the wealth for the rich to live on. Right, right. And surprise, they live like shit. (laughs) Just (laughs) not having a great time. Wow. How original. 
great. <laughs> yeah. I will say this speaks a little bit to the type of person Leto is, right? The Atreides are ostensibly the good guys yeah. in the Dune universe. They're our protagonists. Right. And the fact that Leto even cares to go to the lower levels and meet these people and even makes an attempt to. Yeah. I imagine Prince Romber has never once given a speck of thought to a single subvoid, right? Totally. Yeah. Leto here, we're kind of getting a little bit of character building for the type of person he is. He cares about the people on the lowest rung of the ladder, and he wants to go meet them and see them. It's a good point. Yeah. And so he does. But you're right. Like, this is a very classic story of just the poor and downtrodden people who are ignored by the nobility. (laughs) And it gets even more classic (laughs) and even more cliche here because on Leto's journey to the even more underground areas of the underground of it. Incredible timing. Incredible timing. (laughs) He turns the corner, right? Yeah. And he walks into a union slash revolution meeting that's like happening right now? At like the most explaining point. This isn't the coffee break of the union revolution meeting. (laughs) This is the, what are we here for? To overthrow them because they're breaking the rules. And right. every single word is exposition. Yeah. And it's all heavy and it's all awkward and it's weird. Yes, totally. It, it's so weird. But the gist here is that the subways, <laughs> this lower class of people, this oppressed class are mad, not really because they're being oppressed. Yeah, not a problem. Which would be seemingly the reason. They're into it. It's their king. They're, <laughs> they're like, it's in our names. Subways, yeah. guys. But what they're mad about here is that the Ixians are making thinking machines. Remember earlier, the mechs. Remember Leto bringing that up, coming full circle here. They're mad that the Ixians are making thinking machines, thus breaking both the laws of the Great Convention, as Leto said a few pages earlier, and also breaking the tenets of the Orange Catholic Bible. And so they want to overthrow the nobility. Because they're breaking the law and making thinking machines. And then at this point, the subvoids turn and they see Leto listening and they're like, what the fuck? Who invited this guy to the union meeting? And he hits them with the classic excuse, I got lost. I got lost. Got him. I'll believe you on that one. Uh, They don't believe him on that one, actually. And they chase him. Oh, no. And then he kind of makes a mad dash. He finds one of the elevators where only the nobility have the access codes or whatever. Sure. And he jumps in that elevator and and gets out of there. And that's where this scene ends. You know, I really want to take a moment and say, great point about this showing Leto built like his character. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that, but that really is such a good point. Leto Atreides is the people's leader. He's the guy who sacrifices the spice harvester to save the soldiers. He's the guy who like... You, you know, I imagine him, you just started like basic training and he's already learned your name. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. But it just hinges on this weird thing because you got to think if the Ixians are making thinking machines, yeah. the entire population of Ix being all basically banished scientists from Richie's <laughs> yeah. would be in on it. Or if you're going to keep the secrecy, if you're going to keep it a secret, why would these like low level workers find out about yeah all of this rings very like it needs to happen so it's happening right and not it makes sense for it to happen it needs to happen because leto needs some conflict on x right and so this is a thing that's now suddenly happening yeah and that that's a vibe that we are sensing through many of these issues and particularly in this next scene in the final scene of this issue (laughs) yeah yeah And again, this was, if you remember, one of the things I was looking forward to so much. We Okay, we get our final scene. And this is back on Giddy Prime. And full circle, you know, first panels are Duncan Idaho. Now we're back with Duncan Idaho. He is with this woman, uh, Janice, or Janice. And she is uh, taking Duncan away just the whole time, gloating about how much she hates Beast Raban. Yeah. <laughs> and... She's like, oh, he's going to be so mad. This is hilarious. Like, this is the ultimate prank on this idiot Beast Raban. Yeah. And she did a bunch of dirty work for him, I guess. Like, she's employed by him or was like a mercenary for him. She did a bunch of work for him. He didn't follow through with rewarding her appropriately. So now she's just fucking with him. And she's like, well, if I abduct his 
person he's hunting. Yeah. That'll really get to him. It'll really annoy him. Yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll, got him. Uh, got him. <laughs> you know, that's good. And that's her entire reason for that. And she just says this right. to Duncan Idaho, who's like, oh, right. Well, it's not about me then. You're just, I mean, I guess I'm glad I'm not dead, but still kind of expected more from this grand savior. Yeah. Which that panel where he's like looking at the window and he's like, oh, that's weird. It's This has nothing to do with me. You're just like, you have this beef with Beast Raban, which is why you're doing this. Right. And I read that panel and I was like, yeah, I'm also thinking this, Duncan. I'm with you. What? This is this lady's motivation for doing this. It's uh, we've talked to we've mentioned it like it's just like this thing needs to happen. Duncan needs to get out of here. So this this random character has beef with Raban or something. And I believe that there are characters that have beef with Raban. Like he's an asshole. Oh, sure. And everyone hates him. Yeah. But she is absolutely a manifestation of plot. Yes. <laughs> she is just you needed a thing to get you from point A to point B. Now, that point B is the Getty yep. ship launching area yep. where you're going to leave the planet and she says to him you know what you could run away but that's not smart because you know i'm trying to get you off the planet which would probably be pretty good for you so i'm going to use you to pay another debt which you know we'll just take those words and believe them right some unexplained debt yeah <laughs> yeah she's this woman owes everyone <laughs> she <laughs> owes every person in the galaxy she takes him to this guy named reno mm-hmm. and She's like, yo, I got you that thing you needed. Right. <laughs> a human <laughs> to, like, do your chores. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Reno's like, oh, nice. You got me the ship rat. I need him to do all the <laughs> ship rat things on my vessel here. Yeah. And conveniently, talking about going from plot A to plot B to plot C. Right. The ship is heading for Kaladin. So that's how we're getting Duncan Idaho from point A to point B to point C for Kaladin. That's how he's getting to Kaladin. And that is where issue number four ends, is Reno takes Duncan away onto the ship and casually mentions that they're headed for Kaladin. I have so many thoughts. Yeah. But. So many thoughts. I'll save them for a minute, because now that we've kind of talked about what happens in these two issues, mm -hmm. let's talk broadly about our impressions. What did we think? How did we feel? And I'd say, go ahead and start, Abu. What did you think about these two issues? Did you like them? Did you hate them? You know, yeah. what what are your thoughts? How are you feeling? I think anyone listening to this episode has clearly sort of picked up on our vibes here. You love it. It's on your what favorite. We think of, <laughs> on what we think of issues three and four. Yeah. To me, yeah. issues three and four were just super meh. <laughs> and we have joked sort of time and time again about the writing. I think some of the writing here was was ranged anywhere from mediocre to bad to cringe to just why? Yeah. <laughs> there were some yeah. weird pacing issues. We've mentioned that the scene at the observatory in issue four that just didn't need to be there. Right. Uh, there are some silly sort of plot points that happen just because the plot needs to move forward with the suboids, with right. Janice taking Duncan off planet for some reason. And I, I think one of the issues that's starting to sort of bother me as we get deeper into this comic series is that so many of the characters that we know have depth because they do in Dune right, right. in the books <laughs> here in the prequel are just so one-dimensional that it's almost funny. Like, it <laughs> unintentionally makes me laugh yeah. that Duncan Idaho is like, my name is Idaho, I am the hunter now. The procreation process with women disgusts me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we know these characters have depth and motivations and they're, yeah. they're well-rounded because we read about them in dune in the books and now here in this prequel comic series they're just so flat so many of them are so flat and even leto who arguably is one of the better characters thus far in this comic series even leto has these weird moments of characterization where he needs to nerd out about the great convention right right and it's like ah there's so much more here so much depth here to these characters that we're just either glossing over or ignoring or just improperly handling. So <laughs> right. these two issues I was not a big fan of. And again, this is a 12-issue series. 
I'm hoping more will happen, frankly. Like these we read these two issues and I was kinda like nothing happened really. Like I guess Duncan escaped and right. we're setting up a subvoid plot line. But Shaddam and Fenring did a lot of talking, but no actual thing happened with those two yet across these two issues. Stilgar got saved. Stilgar got saved, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Pardo Kinds looked great. So <laughs> appreciation for that as well. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I, I guess something's happened, but it, it seems to be so slowly paced or maybe just awkwardly paced that it feels like nothing happened. Uh there are like I was saying, there are twelve issues and we're only a third into it. Maybe things will pick up. Maybe some of these earlier scenes that aren't making sense to us at the moment, like Piter looking through the inexplicable window into the Baron's bedroom. <laughs> right. Maybe that will have payoff later in a few issues. Yeah. Who knows? I'm hopeful it does. Right. But if we were to take these first four issues as sort of a template for what to expect for the next eight, I'm not hopeful. Right. So this was very mad for me. And I will continue to read the series and will probably continue to cover it because honestly to me at the end of the day more dune is good dune and i really am truly enjoying the visuals i like reading comic books and this is a comic book in one of my favorite universes so at the end of the day i'm biased towards it regardless <laughs> but there's not a whole lot to look forward to yeah i will yeah. say i'm looking forward to the tleilaxu i guess i want to see what the this interpretation of the tleilaxu looks like because i have been really enjoying the art I've been enjoying the character designs, and uh, I hope uh, the Tleilaxu who have, have a unique look to them. What about you? W w how did these two issues hit you in particular, and how have the four issues we've covered so far been for you? You know, probably not a surprise to anybody, but we're on very much the same page. It looks great. Totally. The art, a lot of the visuals, a lot of the characters, for as one-dimensional as some of them are in the way that they're written, they look wonderful, you know. We were both really excited to see Ix, and they deliver. Yeah. Like, Ix looks spectacular. And the Fremen Nabe looks so badass and cool, yeah. as he says, yeah. we're going to decide your fate. And again, exactly to your point, you say, hey, Leo, there's going to be eight more of these. You excited for eight more collections of Dune art? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Now, I've read... Uh, we'll we'll say I've let, read one and a half of Brian's books, and I I'm not surprised that the writing here is clunky. I don't want to like be too mean, but oftentimes it really does feel like you have this Dune universe with these incredibly well-rounded characters. Even the Baron, who can seem, if you only read Dune, to be kind of a caricature, you know. Yeah. We learn later more about the Baron. You know, in later books, we learn more about him. And we learn that there's so much more to him as a character than initially meets the eye. Right. And it feels almost intentional to then take these characters who have all of this incredible depth and then to write them to just be like the Baron that we meet in Dune. Would have would have on the spot come up with some counter counter uh, proposal. He wouldn't be talked into a corner. He would have gotten something out of it for himself. If anything, he would have had a plan for if the Bene Gesserit found out. Right. He, I, I don't buy this like, ew, girls are gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird. So, I don't know. I'm not super surprised that the writing of this comic series is like clunky and heavy handed. Yeah. And if this follows the trajectory of the Brian Herbert book that I read... Again, I don't really think there's a reason to be hopeful about the incredible poetic payoffs later on. And to your pacing concern, honestly, I think it's paced well in what's happening. But the one page of Shaddam and Fenring talking is like four pages worth of text crammed into the, the comic cells. Yeah. And it takes three times longer to get through that one page which is clunky expositional writing right that isn't fun to read and isn't like telling us new things have you heard of arrakis <laughs> yeah no <laughs> tell me more about it <laughs> like it's a prequel series <laughs> it's a prequel series we've all heard of arrakis we've already seen it two pages ago <laughs> like... <laughs> now regarding duncan idaho specifically yeah i was very excited for you know, 
Through the series, we see that Duncan Idaho, one of his core qualities as a human, his deepest psyche is tied to a loyalty to the Atreides. Yeah. And this implies a pretty magnificent introduction to House Atreides. Right. Duke Leto Atreides really saved him in a way that left a lifelong, deep psychological mark. I, I'm not buying it so far. This, like, you're going to be a ship rat on this guy who's happen- happening to go to Caladan, wherever the hell that is. It doesn't feel like they're setting up the payoff that we need for you to justify telling me this story. You know, Frank Herbert didn't tell us the specifics of how Duncan Idaho met Duke Leto Atreides. He didn't tell us that. So if you as the author go, hey, I've got an idea. (laughs) He ended up on the planet and they were like, hi. (laughs) You've taken away from us the opportunity to have that being told to us in a better way. Or how do I want to say that? Like you've taken away the mystique of of that legendary. And you've made it bad. (laughs) You've made it not believable or ham-fisted. Yeah. Maybe it needs to remain mysterious. Maybe it needs to remain one of those unexplained things. And if so, don't touch it. But shooting your shot, missing, and then getting the whole game canceled is not cool. (laughs) So that's my feeling on that. Again, I am still looking forward to that fateful first panel of like maybe them shaking hands or something, you know, like that's going to be powerful no matter. (laughs) I'll be so angry (laughs) if they fuck that up (laughs) because it's Duncan Idaho meeting Duke Leto Atreides. That's got to be incredible. If it's not, I'm going to fucking burn something down. (laughs) Anyway, the art is beautiful. Can't can't wait for issue 10. (laughs) Can't wait for that episode. (laughs) Issue 10, right before Leo's immensely disappointed. I mean, look, give us the Earl Dominic Vernius spinoff series that we deserve. Every other page. Do something with a character that we don't have attachments to. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I think that's why Dominic Vernius is, is so attractive to us. Like, He's great. We don't know anything about him. He's relatively him. new to us. And there's limitless possibility for, like, how did he steal Shando? I want to know what moves this guy's fucking putting out there to steal the Emperor's girl. I need to take My some guy. notes. <laughs> <laughs> I desperately need your help. Teach me, Vernius. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a good point. Like some of these characters, and I think, I really think it's the art. I mean, I think some of these characters, I want to learn more about this Nabe. Yeah. I want to learn more about this old grizzled Nabe. Right. And you could tell a really great story. You could, you could give us this beautiful artwork and these great characters tangential to main plot things. Yeah. And look, someone tell us Pardo Kine's hair care routine. (laughs) Is it like L'Oreal? How is he getting those locks? Those golden locks? <laughs> he has to have been in a pinup calendar. Yeah. And if he hasn't, oh, he's gonna. Oh, he's, he's gonna. gonna. It's all cod pieces. 12 back-to-back <laughs> pictures of Pardo Kynes in a cod piece. It's practical desert wear. <laughs> this is Dune 101. It breathes. Cod pieces. It's hot. <laughs> hot and it's dry. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help us spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.